We are looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of the pastoral epistles, and seeing what God has for us in terms of leadership and, and training and raising people. We also have a communion today, so you can be thinking about that. Uh, I had this thought that, you know, we do this once every five weeks, and it's really a time to kind of reconnect, and, and it's a time to bring whatever you have that's on your heart, that's a problem, that's an issue, a trial, trouble, persecution, whatever, bring it, and you bring it to the cross. So you might want to be thinking about that. Now we, we looked, uh, we began our study last week with uh, talking about overseers and elders and shepherds, and uh, we saw how those terms are used interchangeably in Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter chapter 5, speaking of men who have been called by God, and it really, uh, it, it's, it's a calling, it's a calling by God to be in service in this function. Now he talks there about having a heart for it too, where he says if he sets his heart on it, he desires a good thing. It's a noble task. It's good. So there's this combination of God putting it in someone's heart and them acting on that. Them stepping out to to reach out to what God would have for you. It really needs to be both. Because you can have one or the other. You can have where God's put it on your heart to step up and, and be a leader in, in the church, in, in this function, in this capacity, and never do anything about it. Or you can, you can feel like, you know, that's what I want to be. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an overseer. I'm going to be a, an elder. I'm going to be a shepherd or a pastor. And, and God isn't really putting that in your heart and life. And then that creates, that can be a real problem. To try to do something that God's not calling to do is a real problem. Some of the summary of duties of, of this calling, this, uh, I don't want to call it a job because it's not really a job, but to teach and to preach, to direct the affairs of the church, to shepherd the flock of God and to guard the church from error, to be an example. So many things are listed in that and it's a, I want to just reiterate, it's a noble task. It's a good thing. Because now we get to, today, we get to the qualifications and, and they're spelled out. And, and let me tell you what, they are steep. The qualifications are steep. And the question, I think, is how many of, how many of us could actually make it to be an elder, to be an overseer, to be a shepherd, to be a pastor? After looking at this list, and I really, you know, and again, this idea of coming to the cross is kind of weave, is weaved into this, is, is, is coming, realizing that we fall short and we need to be right with the, with the cross and with the mercy of God. It's only by, God, by God's ongoing mercy and a, and a heart that's after his heart that, that we can do anything for him. But especially in this, God knows that we're not perfect but his grace is sufficient. So let's look at these things here. Let's first uh, start in chapter 3, verse 2. Let's read those verses. It says, now the overseer, anybody remember the Greek word for that? From last week? Just checking, see if anyone's listening. Episcopos, right. He wasn't even here last week. (laughs) I'm not sure who said that, I was just... Kidding, maybe. 
The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Wow. Is that something? One commentator says this, the four main prerequisites are this, personal character, the witness of the home, teaching aptitude and a measure of experience. He says these are God's standards. These are God's standards. Again, it's not a job uh, that, you know, you go apply for and you, you see what the, the uh, you know, what the employer's looking for. It's something that God is doing in the life of a person. And, and, uh, but, but along with that, I, and I've heard this through the years over and over, that there are traps and there are dangers and there are problems. And summed up like this, passion, possessions, and position. Passion, possessions, and position. We see that now in these verses here. So let's look at these one by one. We'll go through them quickly. We could spend a whole... Uh, you know, week on each and every one of these, but we won't do that because then we would just completely give up and quit for sure. Not that we want to race through them either because this is God's standards. The first one he, he says there in uh, verse 2, he says, Now the overseer must be above reproach. The overseer must be over, above reproach. And, and, and what stood out to me in the first part of that, that is that the overseer must be. It's something that the person is. It's part of, of, of who you are, you see. But what is he talking about here, about being above reproach? We're really talking about character, right? And, and character does matter. You know, I'm, I'm just... You know, not that any of us are perfect, but, but in the world we just see that character just doesn't matter that much anymore. And especially, perhaps you might say, in the political realm where we're coming up to the, you know, uh, voting cycle. And, you know, it, it, in some cases it does, in some cases it doesn't. It depends on who's doing the talking. If they're pointing at somebody else, it matters. If they're talking about themselves, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, this is God's church that we're talking about here. And character matters in God's church. It really matters. So the first thing he says here is to be above reproach, and, and some translations say blameless. And really, this idea is, that there is, is like this, that there's no outstanding warrant. That, that someone can come to you and say, well, you've never dealt with this. this you've got this big issue in your life. And it's never been dealt with. you got this pending court case kind of hanging over your head. There's, you're above reproach, you're blameless, where they can't come and say, well, you, what about this in your life? Now one, one man said this, he says, not sinless, but if one does commit some fault, he makes it right with both God and man. 
you see. In this, in this whole thing about you know, being uh, an overseer, an elder, a shepherd, a pastor, whatever you want to, which terminology you want to use, it's, it's important to know that, 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 that God is doing something. And God is the one that qualifies us. And we can disqualify ourselves, but God can still qualify. And if we make a mistake, which we will in one way or another, does that mean that it's all over forever, finished, done? Because we may as, we may as well all just go home right now. You know, we're all sinners in this room, I think. Let me check. Any here that aren't? Because if you aren't, then you can come up here and take my place. You know, we're all sinners, and, and, and if, if, if it was based on a perfect record, but for you and I to do anything, forget it. It's over. We're done. Forget it. It's not going to make it. We're not going to be able to carry on, continue. But the grace and the mercy of God, you see, that he forgives, that he gives his grace freely, that he forgives us freely when we come to him. But we need to keep that we need to keep in close contact with him. And when we do blow it, when we do fall, we come back to him. That's what I'm talking about, coming back to the cross again and again. That's why, that's why Jesus said, you know, have communion regularly. Because we need to regularly come back to the cross and regularly get right and regularly keep that account short between us and God. It's all, that's all. That's the only hope that we have, you see. So he says above reproach and, and no outstanding warrant thing that, that, that if there is something there that, that we deal with, with it with God. Now I have to think about this in, in an idea of, of things that disqualify. And he's going to list a whole bunch of things and, and I think any one of them can disqualify us. But... Does that mean, as I said, does that mean it's all over? Can we go back and see what God wants to do and, and get some healing and forgiveness and mercy? I do believe that that's the case. Now, in some cases, depending on what it is that has happened in the life of a leader, the time factor may be very, very different. For example, if you... Uh, talks in here about uh, being violent. If you you know, yelled at somebody one time, that you know, may create some serious problems. However, if you broke your, ma- your, your marriage, your wedding vow, and, and, and that happened in your life, that's going to create some serious problems too, but there, there's, a, there's a whole different kind of healing process, right? There's a whole different kind of time, and I don't, I don't think we should put time on it, but there are some that would say, well, once some of these things happen, or one, and, and we can point to one or the other, if one of these things happens, well, that means they're done forever. But I don't think that's the case with God, you see. So as I've been saying, God forgives. His mercies are new every morning. But there may be a path that, that some of these have to take that, that, that you know, take time. Also talks about, you know, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He doesn't just give you something and take it back. Well, no, you blew it now. You didn't measure up, so I'm taking it back. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Think about Samson, right? Samson is like the example, right, of this kind of thing. And I wasn't even going to talk about Samson, but, but you know, he, he had this anointing. He had this calling from God, and he messed up pretty bad. But when you look at the end of his life, that power was still there. When his hair grew back out, guess what happened? 
the strength came back. You can read that for yourself. So above reproach, you know, again, is there something that is there that needs to be dealt with? It's a willingness to get right and to be right before God. He talks later about not being a recent convert where the pride thing comes in. We're thinking, you know what? I got it pretty well together here. I'm a pretty good elder. I'm, I'm just, a, you know, I'm an outstanding overseer. I, you know, I really don't have anything that's, uh, you know, anybody can come and give me a problem about. Well, there's your problem already. See what I'm saying? The second one, let's, I said we'd move along quickly. I just wanted to focus because that first one kind of covers all of these, really. The second one, he says, to be the husband of but one wife. That scares me. Because if I had more than one wife, <laughs> okay, so how do we translate this? What does this mean? Literally, it means this, a one-woman man. And, and people have debated about this and talked about this particular uh, verse here for a lot of different things. But ultimately, what I believe it means is this, to be uh, someone who's uh, committed to his wife and who's faithful to his wife. Some would hold that that would mean that a person could never serve in this capacity if they've been divorced and then remarried or whatever. Some, and you know, applying it directly to those times where, uh, you know, there were some that got saved that had more than one wife. Not a polygamist. Some even go to the, to the extreme, I believe, of saying, you know, that even if the wife had died, that they could not get remarried. Because it says only one wife. Husband of one wife. And your wife died, that's your wife. Some of these don't even make a lot of sense, right? But, but these kinds of things have been debated and talked about for centuries. And, you know... Again, getting back to what I was saying here, can God restore somebody who has blown it and, 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 and uh, has gotten divorced even? I believe God's mercy is bigger than that. I really do. Is it a light thing? No, God says in, in Malachi, I just read it a, a week or two back, that God hates divorce. It's not his plan. It's not his purpose. But there's mercy and there's because It's not the unforgivable sin that sometimes we say that it is. But it's this idea, again, back to this, the definition of being a one-woman man, that, that he doesn't have roving eyes, that he isn't thinking about uh, other people, committed, faithful. The second thing there it says to be temperate, and really uh, the idea is there to be balanced and not given to extremes. Not given to extremes. You've, you've seen perhaps leaders, and, and, and perhaps we've all done this, where we've gone to one extreme or the other, and that really is not a good thing. And, and in the life of the church, uh, quote-unquote, for those that would go into often to extreme tangents, it just gets weird, and it, it's, it, it gives a bad name to Jesus when people go off into these weird tangents, and, the, you, you know... I saw some on the uh, internet my daughter showed me the other day. It was like bizarre. Like, how could you even go there? It was such a weird extreme, and yet they, they, they thinking that it's, that's cool, everything's great. 
That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be stepping out in different areas at different times. We should be. Because we can be an extreme of being, you know, uh, lazy. We can be an extreme of being not uh, involved at all. That's an extreme too. We need to be right in the middle, kind of like just doing what God wants us to do. Taking steps of faith, yes. But not going off into some weird doctrinal issue. That's one of the things the overseer and the elder the shepherd and the pastor was supposed to protect the church from. So it, it, it makes no sense to me that, 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 that someone in that role would actually take them into those extremes and take them into false teaching when they're the ones supposed to be protecting the church from those extremes, you see. The next one to be self-controlled. Some of these are so, uh, you know, they're self-explanatory as opposed to being out of control. To be self-controlled, Peter said, be self-controlled and alert. And your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, when we're lacking self-control, the enemy's there going, let's, let's jump in on this bandwagon. I worked, I worked for a guy uh, when we were uh, on the mission field, and that guy was like out of control. He was literally out of control. And, and, uh, and I remember... Uh, Another guy that I was working with, we went into this leader's office and, and uh, we were in there and he just, he just got completely out of control and he started screaming at us. And we're going like, what is going on here? And we walked out of there and just going like shaking our head. We'll come to find out that he, you know, the one about the husband of but one wife, a one woman man, he'd been messing around with one of the gals in the ministry. And, and you know, these things kind of like all kind of tie together and... and but the truth is also that they always come out. It always comes out. The next one here, respectable. Respectable. How about the next one? Hospitable literally means love of strangers. Love of strangers. Now, I was just thinking about, does that mean love of strange people? <laughs> love of strangers being open to new people you know I, I think I think all of us need to be like that really too love of strangers love of because that's how the the church expands is when we when we keep our own little you know microcosm our own little group and we're we're not open to the people around us and they're different they're different I could tell you about some of my Strange contacts, but I won't because they might be listening and they'll know I was talking about them. The next one, they're able to teach, to communicate God's word in a clear way. Uh, we read it in 1 Peter chapter 5, to feed the flock. So there's this, this aptitude, this willingness, this understanding to teach. Not just to teach anything, but to teach God's word. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. So turn ahead a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 24 through 26. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy and, and he says there, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And those who oppose him, you must gently instruct. 
in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive captive to do his will. There's this idea of this ability to teach this willingness to teach God's word to help people get free, to lead them to repentance and knowledge of the truth, and actually to help them get set free from the captivity of, of the enemy. It's a big part of it. It's not the only part, though. Some people look at this and they say, well, that's, that's number one and that's the only one that you can teach. And maybe, maybe you have a, an, an awesome gift of teaching. You have incredible way of communicating. You can do it and, and people are astounded by the way you speak. Sort of like right now. <laughs> nah. You know what I'm saying, though. And yet everything else in your life is a mess. And, and it happens, you know, but like I said, it comes out. You know, it comes out in our, in our Calvary Chapel churches where guys, you know, they have this incredible ministry, incredible teaching. And yet it comes out that they've, you know, they've been unfaithful to their wives. They've been out doing things they shouldn't do, involved in pornography and, and uh, breaking their vows with other women. The teacher there, he said, he said, should teach to help people escape. How can we do that when we need to escape ourselves? Again, it's got to start here. It's got to start with me. It's got to start with you. The next one, verse 3, back in 1 Timothy, he says, not given to drunkenness. Some say not given to wine. Uh, really, the, the uh, Wearsby uh, translated translates it like this, sits long with the cup and thus drinks to excess. Sits long with the cup and thus drinks to excess. Not given to it, you see. It's something that you're not given to. Alcohol, you know, it's a big subject. We could do a whole message about that. It's a danger, and we do need to be careful. The, the Bible, I, I don't believe, is, is uh, you know, I think there's some freedom there. There's some freedom there. But I also know that it's very dangerous and it can stumble other people. In fact, Paul said this in Romans 14. He says, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or, do, or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. You see, we need to be thinking about the other people around us. Well, I have the freedom. I could do that. But, but as, as a leader... As an overseer, as an elder, as a shepherd, I need to be very careful about being that example to somebody else. And maybe there's someone who has a very serious problem with alcohol, and if they see me drinking alcohol, guess what they're going to say? It's cool. Let's do it. Again, there's some freedom there. The Bible, I don't think, says that, we, that every Christian needs to be a teetotaler. I don't think that the Bible says that. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, drink a little wine for the, you know, stomach problem you had. I don't know how wine helped the stomach problem, but maybe he was drinking bad water and he needed something, you know. That's a whole thing about the alcohol and the wine and the, the, the strength of the wine back then and, and the, how bad the water was. But I think that there's something that we need to be very careful because, because alcohol, again, it's, it's a very addictive Alcohol, you know, can make you do things that you wouldn't normally do. 
It's a legal drug. Let's be honest about that. It's a legal drug. But again, it, it's not necessarily all bad. We need to be careful. I'm not going to go to that extreme, right? But I think we need to be very careful about it, especially in terms of leadership, that what kind of an example are we going to set? And it's one thing, it's one thing to do something in the privacy of your own home. It's another thing to be doing out, it out at the, at the bar or the club or uh, at a wedding, for example, and, and where alcohol might be served. Proverbs 31, which we always think about in terms of the Proverbs 31 woman, actually starts like this. It talks about uh, a leader, a king. And it says this, It's not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. We lose that ability to have a proper judgment if we're given to alcohol, given to wine, given to especially drunkenness. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, scriptural uh, standing for getting drunk. Let me say that much. Let's move on here. Not violent, but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. And maybe there's a real problem with anger. And, and as I mentioned, flying off the handle. That can, that's not a good place for an for a, for overseer to be. Not that we don't ever get angry. You know, I, I haven't gotten angry for, you know, about five minutes. I mean, <laughs> for a long time. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We, we all, sometimes we get angry. We get upset. Maybe you got angry on the way here. Maybe you got angry right now. Maybe the one you're sitting next to, you're like so angry at. That's why we're having communion, though, to bring it to the cross. We're all going to get angry, but but again, these are God's standards for somebody that would, would be a leader in the church that he purchased with his own blood. The next one, not quarrelsome. Some people just like to argue, you know. Anybody want to argue with me about that? Some people just want to go for it and just like, I don't know. I don't like to argue. But if you get me into a corner, but it's not nice, is it? That contentiousness, quarrelsomeness. The next one there, he says, is not a lover of money. Not a lover of money, not greedy for money, not taking advantage of God's people, not fleecing the flock. It says in Luke 16 that the Pharisees, they loved money. Well, what, should, what should a person, an overseer, an elder, a shepherd love? Love God, love people. That's what we should love, not money. The love of money, we'll get to that in chapter 6. The love of money, root of all kinds of evil. Actually have caused people to wander away from their faith. The next one, verse 4, he says, He must manage his own family well. Manage his own family well. And see that his children obey him with proper respect 
It starts in the home, doesn't it? It really does. It's got to start in the home. If it's not happening in the home and it, you know, you're trying to have something here, and, and it just doesn't, it's not real. It's a, it's a two, kind of two-faced kind of thing. It's hypocrisy because hypocrisy literally means putting on an act or putting on a show. And if, if your home is in the disaster mode, how can you help someone else who's having troubles in their home? Now, again, that doesn't mean that we're going to have the perfect home because none of us do. But, but it's something that we're, we're bringing before the Lord. We're praying. We're working. We're studying. We're asking God to do something in our homes. It's this ongoing relationship with God, ongoing seeking after Him. Manage his own family well. Leads his children. Not violently, but leads them in a way that deserves and that deserves respect, teaches respect in the home. That's what he's talking about there. You think of uh, this guy, Eli, right? In the book of 1 Samuel, there was a, pro- a priest, his name was Eli, and he had two sons. And these two sons, they got themselves into some serious problems. But it says this about him. This is what the Lord said to Eli in 1 Samuel 3.13. He says, I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. And his sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. You see, he knew about what they were doing, and he did nothing about it. Now, you could say, well, you know, it seems that the sons were grown up or whatever, but they actually were under him because he was the high priest, or he was the the top dog there, and and they were kind of, you know, under him. And he did nothing about it. They failed to restrain them. He says, see here, to see that his children obey him with proper respect. Verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? It's got to start in the home, folks. It really does. Our homes matter. And are there times when, when people need to say, listen, I, I need to step back for a while. I need to get my house in order. Because there's some stuff that's going on, and, and, and I think that's perfectly acceptable. And I, I think it's reasonable, and it's probably the right thing to do. When someone's home is falling apart, they need to step back and say, listen, I, I, need, to, I need to pay attention here and focus. I think it's the right thing to do. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. There's times when people are put into positions too soon. Not a recent convert. Why? It says because he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. And the reason the devil was judged was because of pride. The truth of the matter is that the human race, that includes every one of you, that includes me, is that we're prone to pride. We're prone to to the thinking that, you know, in the middle of the word pride is I... With position, with power, it's better to wait. John Corson said this, novices or recent converts tend to think that if anything good happens to them, it's because they're a skilled speaker or a clever person. Only someone who has walked with the Lord a while 
understands that if anything good happens through him, it's not because of him, but rather in spite of him. God does anything. It's not because of you or because of me. We're just vessels. We're tools in God's hand, you see. It's in spite of us. There's this thing called humility that I think is very crucial. It's very key. Verse 7, last verse there, as we wrap this up, it says he must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. You see, reputation matters. Character matters. And this idea, he says there's a trap. The trap thinking that, you know, it doesn't matter. Our reputation doesn't matter. Our character doesn't matter. But the truth of the matter is that the devil has traps. And that's what's inferred here is that, and the truth is he would like to take as many down as possible. We call it spiritual warfare. And, and I don't want to minimize that too, that someone who'd be in this role as, as a overseer, elder, shepherd, there, there's, a, there's a certain amount of, of putting yourself in harm's way or putting yourself up as a target that the enemy would like to take you down. Again, we're just trying to be as realistic and as clear about what, what God's word is saying about this. Be careful, be aware. So looking at all this now, this is quite a list. Would you not agree? So having said all that now, who would like to sign up? you got to be crazy, right? Like, the scrutiny. Well, the truth of the matter is there is some scrutiny involved, and I think, I think it's not wrong for the people of a church to, to look for these kinds of things. But also that you live your life in a fishbowl, they say, you know, where, where people watch you. It's part of the calling. Character does matter. None of us are perfect, but character matters. And, and God does have standards for those who would take care of his flock. But I've heard it so many times that, you know, it's a calling in the heart and, and that God's got to be doing this because otherwise you can't do it. You're not going to make it. And I've heard, I've heard this and I've read this uh, repeatedly that if you can do anything else, go do it. If you can do anything else, go do it. Do you know why, why I'm saying that? Because don't do something God's not called you to do. If God's called you to do it, he, he's going to help you. He's going to equip you. Let's close with Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to have communion now. Hebrews chapter 13, if you'll turn there with me ahead, a few books, not too many. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. He says, May the God, may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May he equip you. May you be equipped. May I be equipped with everything good for doing his will. But that second part is just as important. May he work in us what is pleasing to him. These things that we read, they're pleasing to him as well. May he do something in me. I've said this and I've said it recently. You know, uh, for me, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And, and if, I can, if I can show you uh, what that looks like in any way, shape, or form, uh, as imperfect as it is, that's, that's all I can do. Just trying to follow Jesus. Let's pray together and prepare for communion. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And, and God, I do pray that you would raise up men in this church, but also men in the, in the body of Christ, Lord, who would have these characteristics, these qualities that, that you are building into their lives. Not perfect men. There's not a single one except that great overseer, the sheep, that shepherd that we just read about Jesus who knew no sin, but became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. As we celebrate communion, we, we think of him who went before us, who led the way, who died for us, that we might have life, who give us mercy, give us grace, forgiveness, healing. We are imperfect vessels, Lord, but, but you yet you have decided to use us. It, doesn't even make sense. Why? But we're not going to argue with you, Lord. It's your plan, your purpose. And so we surrender, submit to you. Father, we come and I, I pray for each of us that we all have things that we need to come and make right, to get ready, to, to bring to the cross, the foot of the cross, We come now before you, Lord. I pray also for any here this morning. I want to give that opportunity for any who have not ever received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's, this is what the Word of God says, to open your heart, to receive him, to trust him, to forgive you of your sin because of what he did on the cross, and that your life will be changed. You'll become a new person. You will be born again into the family of God and all you need to do is open up and let him in. You can't get right. You can't do good enough to make it. You're not going to get there. But, but he did it and so accept him. Believe in him. Call out to him. I called and you answered. Father, we call out to you. We call out to you, Jesus, even now and say, Lord, Come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen.